You've got shit. I've got shit. We've all got shit. So let's therapize that shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. Please note, I am not a therapist. I cannot and do not diagnose anyone or prescribe anything. This is just me, someone who struggles with mental illness, emotions, and intrusive thoughts, sharing what skills I've used and how I've used them. Also, trigger warning, in this podcast, I talk about sensitive topics including mental illness, suicidal ideation, self-harm, rape, childhood sexual assault, trauma, and more. I also swear here and there, so listener discretion is advised. If you're new to the podcast, some context for you. I've gotten a ton of value out of doing group therapy and watching others process their shit. In group, I can see other people's patterns and behaviors much more clearly because they aren't my patterns and behaviors, but rather they're adjacent to mine. It's such a relief. I want to share this relief with you via this podcast, wherein I practice skills while actually in the thick of shit. Each episode, I typically do an introduction and provide some context. Then I play a recording of me actively dealing with shit. This isn't me talking about psychology or theories. I'm actually in distress, having strong emotions and strong urges. You're going to hear me crying, angry, numb. But my intention is always to move through an emotion, never to stay there. So stick with me, and we'll actually come out on the other side by the end of the episode. Alrighty, let's hop to it. Welcome, welcome to December. Holy shit. Uh, We are now in December of 2022. Um, So welcome to this episode and welcome to this month, the the last one of the year. This episode is going to be similar to the one from two episodes ago, which was an episode of my exposure therapy. So I'm going to highly, highly recommend that you start at the beginning of this series, uh, Exposure Therapy Session Volume 1, which is episode 28. That's going to make this episode make so much more sense because I spend a bit of time at the beginning of that episode explaining what trauma is, what PTSD is, what exposure is, why I'm doing it, and exactly what I'm doing exposure to. And so rather than repeat all of that here, I'm just going to recommend that you go listen to episode 28, which is not the previous episode, but two episodes ago. And if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, at least listen to like the first, I think, 20 minutes, half hour, which is the explanation of all of that stuff before I get into the recording. The recording I'm about to play for you in this episode is a therapy session that I had on April 19th, 2022, and is, like I said, the next session, the very next session after the session that I included in episode 28. Um, And like I said, I'm recording this commentary on December 1st, so it's about seven months later. The session starts off with my therapist going over the exposure forms that I filled out during the previous week. Quick reminder of what I've been actually doing in exposure. In a therapy session, I will I will tell a story of a memory. In this case, it's a memory of me talking to my dad about the concern that I will just continue to be sexually assaulted. And my dad saying, well, if you leave your car unlocked in a bad part of town, dot, dot, dot. And so I record myself telling that memory in great detail 
during session. And then every day between sessions, I listen to it. I listen to that recording and fill out an exposure form about that experience. That's imaginal exposure. And then in vivo, which means in life exposure, at that time was listening to a New York Times interview with Donna Rotunno, who was Harvey Weinstein's lawyer at the time. And this is the interview where she was asked if she'd ever been sexually assaulted. And she responded with, quote, I have not because I'd never put myself in that position. End quote. <sighs> so at the beginning of the recording I'm about to play for you, my therapist and I are talking about my exposure forms for those tasks. And if you want to see what an exposure form looks like, I have... A link in the description to what they look like and I've also shared some examples on my Instagram account if you want to check that out. Now typically I reference skills from the DBT manual and while my therapist and I do name a couple skills during our session the bulk of what I'm doing in this episode is using the observe and describe skills from DBT. If you're new to the podcast first off welcome and second off the skills I'm about to reference are from the DBT manual by Marshall Linehan. DBT stands for Dialectic Behavioral Therapy and is my therapy type of choice. The DBT manual is linked in the description, both in PDF form and where you can buy a hard copy. Whenever I'm quoting the DBT manual or really anyone else's work other than my own, I turn on some reverb, a little sound effect, so that I sound like I'm in a Broadway theater. Or more accurately, a Broadway theater bathroom. <laughs> uh, my therapist and I will be talking about skills from one of the four DBT manual modules, one of the four sections, which are mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, and distress tolerance. And every skill we mention, I will include the specific handout that we're referencing in the episode notes if you want to go take a look. Incidentally, I do leave in all of the pauses. So every time my therapist asks me a question, and it takes me a long time to come up with the answer, I left that in because I wanted to present as accurate a portrayal of what a therapy session actually looks like or sounds like, I guess. Yeah, I more often than not don't have an answer queued up. It takes me a minute. Oh, and before I forget, a huge thank you to my Patreon supporters. We actually have another new supporter this week. Or a pair of supporters, I guess. Holy shit. Um, Sunny and Juicy just started supporting me on Patreon. What a huge gift. Thank you. And they're also the first people I don't actually know in real life. Though, though something about them seems vaguely presidential to me. That's my guess. We'll see if I'm correct. Andrew started supporting me a few weeks back, so a great big thank you again to Andrew. He's also responsible for the pop filter that I have now, so if you think the audio sounds better, you can thank Andrew as well. Um, and I can't forget my original supporters, Anne and Ruth, who have been with me since the beginning. You all are luminescently incredible and are 94.4% of the reason why this podcast exists for public consumption, so thank you so very much. And if you, dear listener, would like to support this podcast, the link to my Patreon is in the description. Alrighty, that covers pretty much everything, so we're going to dive right on in. Past Joy, take it away. Okay, so I was looking over your forms 
But I and I also uh, read that email. Great, cool. There were some pretty big realizations that you had. Um, so talk to me a little bit about like how exposures went and that realization this week. Future joy here. The email that my therapist just mentioned that I sent to them and that they read is as follows. I had this zoom out moment when I saw a mechanism running and I jotted it down so that I wouldn't forget. A person's focus on their intention means they're no longer paying attention to the impact of their behavior. So let's say a friend tells me that I've hurt them. If I respond to their pain with, yeah, but I was trying to do something nice for you, what I'm not doing is paying attention to whether that thing I did was actually nice for them. I'm putting all my attention on my intention and none of it on actually analyzing the outcome. So again, if I responded to that person's hurt by saying, yeah, but I was trying to do something nice, I have basically shut off my ability to learn. I'm not checking in to see whether my behavior had the desired effect. I'm basically telling them, hey, I was trying to do something nice for you, so you shouldn't be feeling the way you feel about it. Essentially, I'm saying that what I did was objectively right, so if you're hurt by it, it's because you're responding wrong. But here's the thing. My intention doesn't matter. Or rather it does, but only in two very specific ways. See below. Mostly my intention doesn't matter because I've still caused harm and that harm is not contingent on my intentions. If I didn't mean to break your nose, but I did it accidentally, your nose is still fucking broken. Your nose isn't broken less because it was an accident. For me to tell you to feel less pain because I didn't mean to do it, that's fucking bananas. So what are the two very specific ways in which intention matters? Number one, it matters in how my friend that I've hurt will move forward in their relationship with me, i.e. in their trust of me. If I hurt them accidentally, they know it's likely not going to happen again and we can move forward without major boundary revisions. If I did it on purpose, they may not trust me anymore and may choose to distance themselves from me and put up other boundaries. And the second way that intention matters is it matters in how I adjust my behavior. Let's look at the end result, which is my friend feels hurt. Okay, now if I intended to hurt them, then great. <laughs> I can continue on with my behavior as before, no change needed. If I did not intend to hurt them, then my behavior needs to change. My intention matters in how I will adjust my behavior in the future. My intention is my bullseye, what I was aiming for. It's important for me to know what I was aiming for so that I know if I hit it or not. If I miss the bullseye, I don't get to yell at the bullseye for being in the wrong spot. I'm the one who missed. And now here's where we get into the shit. In conversations with mom and dad specifically, when I have said, here's the impact you're having on me, they have responded with, that wasn't their intention. And then they have suggested that if I'm hurt, it's because I'm misreading their intention. That it's my negative interpretation of their behavior, that's the problem. That because their intentions were good, I should have been helped by their behavior. And if I'm not being helped by their behavior, there's something wrong with me. I'm being willfully, stubbornly negative in choosing not to be helped. Dad says that I've painted him as the villain. And yes, I've certainly judged him. And 
when he says that, that he feels like I've painted him as the villain, what it sounds like is, Joy, stop being hurt by the things I do. I love you and only want what's best for you. So if you're hurt, it's because of your interpretations of my behavior, not my actual behavior. And that is why I'm not telling them about any of this invalidation work because I don't want them to tell me that if I feel invalidated, it's because I interpreted what they said wrong, and definitely not because they were actually invalidating. End of email. And now back to the therapy session recording. So that realization happened, I think it was Sunday. So well, let me just start at, at the beginning. <laughs> um, so exposures was kind of all over the map. Um, I guess the first... The first one is on the 12th. I don't have the the imaginal on the 12th because that's what we did in session. Um, this fucking lawyer, man. Um, I kind of go in and out of being able to just sit and be with whatever I'm feeling versus wanting to poke holes in all of her arguments. I keep having not keep. I periodically will have the urge to like want to find all the think pieces that were written about that interview or to contact my friend Ebony who's studying for the LSAT and be like, can you pick apart this argument with me? And the one of the things that's most frequently shown up for this in terms of what's the worst is having my brain feel kind of all scrambled. Okay. Like not knowing which way is up. Like I can, I can feel my brain trying to make sense of things and trying to pick apart and like being like, okay, remember this. And like, you'll need to research the, like all of these thoughts that keep happening. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, it, it's tying itself in knots. Uh, so that was kind of ongoing. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of thoughts are coming up. Yeah, and so I was pr practicing, you know, mindfulness to thoughts and and identifying them as thoughts. But yeah, brain feeling tied up in knots. That was a thing that was consistently, I was thinking it would happen, and it did happen, and it was as bad as I thought it was it would be. It would be. Okay, okay. And were you able to tolerate it? Well, I mean, I'm still here, so... That's yeah. Okay. It just, it, I think what I'm identifying is the, like what invalidation feels like in my body. To me, they feel like at odds with each other of resistance and then belief and then confusion. Like I, I will push back against the thing, but then I'll internalize the thing. There's a lot of, I think it is disgust this tightness throughout my gut, like I've swallowed poison, kind of. Mm -hmm. I've never swallowed poison. I actually don't know what the physiological response to that would be. Um, but there's tightness in your throat. Yeah, it's like, it's actually like all the way down into my, kind of below my, what is this? Like here, diaphragm? Diaphragm, yeah, okay. Um, and it's like tightness all along the sternum will go up into my throat. Um, it feels like I'm hungry, but I don't want to eat. Just it's, there's the, it's a lot. Okay. So you're kind of sitting with and experiencing those body sensations as you're doing this. Yeah. 
and there's a lot of thoughts coming up but generally you're still able it sounds like still able to stick with kind of observing and noticing when that's happening sure yeah okay and not doing anything to prevent it no i mean afterwards i will typically go to the gym um to just to try to get to do some intense exercise i've actually been doing um there's a sled you can pull or push at the mm -hmm. gym and you can load it up with weights mm -hmm. and i i um i almost have it maxed out i got up to 360 pounds pulling it which i attribute to exposure <laughs> it's motivating you it sounds like because i get i get so like annoyed and and angry and the disgust just kind of sits like like a lead weight in my stomach and so i want to go like get the energy out afterwards and where where is that annoyance and anger directed towards <sighs> depends on the day sometimes it's the lawyer sometimes it's my dad sometimes it's rape culture in general i guess mm -hmm. like there's there's no particular target it's just kind of out rarely i mean i think a little bit of shame has come up like i'm looking at one right now on the 16th i had i felt shame afterwards a little bit okay. it's not a huge amount of shame it's mostly disgust and yeah yeah i see disgust is pretty high yeah shame i think it happens more on the imaginal than it does on the in vivo but don't quote me on that because i haven't actually looked at the data Okay. If you weren't feeling anger, I would be surprised. Yeah. And I think just to highlight something, right? When we when we first started working together, which I know is not that long ago, but still some time ago, I think it appeared to me that experiencing and experiencing anger was very challenging for you. Yes. And so I think in my mind's eye, right, the fact that you're experiencing anger around this stuff, it is uncomfortable. I want to validate that it's uncomfortable. Absolutely. And it is something that's important, right? It's actually, and it shows to me that there's some movement happening as a result of doing this exposure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I have an easier time accessing anger around the, um, the in vivo because my dad's not involved right right but as soon as he is i tend to suppress thank you yes future joy here my therapist just said the word suppress and it was super garbled so i figured i'd add some clarity back to the recording and so is any of that anger being suppressed when you're doing the exposures not not uh intentionally i can i can feel what it is and i i mentioned this as one of my probabilities is um feeling stuck okay like a feeling of it kind of feels like that there's if the headwaters of an emotion are in my stomach it's like there's a dam that is built up over them like i can feel they kind of want to come up, up, literally, vertically, mm -hmm. and they just feel trapped kind of in my gut area. Okay. Which is why I, 
I've been labeling it all disgust because it's mm -hmm. the closest thing I got. But um, I'll mention, you know, serious tension in my gut as being a frequent thing mm -hmm. that happens. And there's this feeling of stuckness. Okay. How do you feel overall about how the the imaginal recording listening and the in vivo are going? Um, so last week's imaginal um, was a pretty big deal, I thought, because um, I think it's the first time I've cried in months, at least certainly since starting the exposure. I didn't cry during the, during the actual exposure so much as the yeah, processing of it afterwards. But it was, it felt like something moved. And I'm used to therapy kind of being like stair-step, punctuated equilibriums of like nothing, 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 all of a sudden, boom, and then nothing, 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 you know, like that there's these big moments of progress. And then I kind of have a steady state for a while. And last week felt like one of those jumps of like having access to um, what we identified as a, the isolation of not having language, mm -hmm. which has been coming up a lot. Mm -hmm. I was reading in one of your um, responses to the exposure. I can't remember what day it was, um, but that you were, it seemed like that was coming up a lot for you and with some intensity. Yeah around how your brain works. I think you were you were talking about it in that way. Yeah. I think I mentioned to you during maybe it was the last session that I've basically been using TikTok videos as my like internal translator. Of like mm -hmm. I'll find somebody who explains it exactly right and I'll send it to my sister and be like, here, this explains this because I don't have an ability to explain it in a in a way that people will get it. That's okay. that's the thing. Cause I I notice like I I will use analogies, I will use movie scenes, I will use whatever I can to try to translate and it, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Okay. And that sounds to me like you are you are finding language that resonates right for like for me at least and the challenge is finding language that will resonate for someone else that they'll go oh i see what's going on sure sure yeah i think the the date that you're talking about is the 14th okay where i actually like i wrote a bunch of stuff before I started exposure, and then in the middle, and then after. And the, kind of the feeling of hopelessness that I had around, like, I will have to explain this to every future employer. I'll have to explain this to every future partner. Like, shit. Future Joy here again. Here is what I wrote for my imaginal exposure form on April 14th. Before doing exposure, I'm remembering my first therapist who specialized in PTSD and gifted children. I asked her once, what happens to gifted kids when they grow up? And she said, they become gifted adults. And I went into a months-long depression. I'd always figured that I was just out ahead of people 
and that folks would eventually catch up. And I'm having similar hopeless thoughts now. That it will always be this hard to explain myself to new people. (sighs) Fuck, even not new people, like my parents. Also, I'm realizing I'm moving out of being upset about the context of what dad said, like feeling blamed, and into being upset about not having language to explain my experience to him. And I have the thought that I'm trapped in this body with no way to explain myself. I have to start from scratch with each new person I meet. This is what I wrote in the middle of my exposure. I'm having an increased awareness of the way my brain works and how it perceives things, and I'm having the thought that I'm fucked. Like, it's not a personality flaw. It's not a lack of skill. My brain works this way. And I'm having the thought that I will always be separate and never be able to be at ease, and that I'll always struggle to explain myself. And this is what I wrote after doing exposure. I also realize that dad's argument assumes opportunistic perpetrators. He assumes that by putting myself in a bed with a man, that the man will be, huh, well, she's asleep, I guess I'll fuck her. As opposed to assuming that these people sought me out and knew what to look for, he's suggesting that by locking my car or parking in a different part of town, that that will solve the problem. He's not considering people who will find a car anywhere and break the window. And now back to the therapy session recording. I was curious about, there's an interesting dialectic in what you said. I remember reading, you said like something about you were ahead of people and eventually they would catch up. (sighs) Yeah. Interesting to me, right? Because there's a little bit of like self-validation in that, right? Of like, I am... I am just different from other people and maybe other people will catch up to me at some point. Right. Yeah. That was the belief I had that it, that I had just like left the train station earlier or was going slightly faster or whatever, but that other people would eventually catch up to me and I would stop having to explain. Cause there's, there's a couple problems that I run into is that I do things incredibly, incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. Even if somebody else and I have the same knowledge and the same skill level, I can do it faster. Mm -hmm. So I will be asked to do things because I can do it faster. Like we're on a deadline. We need to do this to get this done. Joy, can you do it? Cause you'll do it faster. Mm -hmm. Then there's also the problem of I learn things extraordinarily quickly and it looks like I just know it innately which I don't, I learn really fast. And then I'm a bad teacher because I don't understand how to explain it to someone so that they'll be able to learn it. I know how to teach myself pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. And in fact, teachers get in my way. When I was in college, I would go to the lecture just so I knew what the objectives were and then write my own notes. Like I would copy all of my notes from college or copies of my lecture notes where I redid the whole thing so it made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know how anybody else's brain works. I don't know how to explain anything to anyone else. So it's just this like, oh, ask Joy, she can teach you. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't teach you. And then there's all this pushback and this anger and frustration with me that like I'm I'm being willful. I'm refusing to teach somebody. And I'm like, knowing a thing and teaching that thing are two different skills. I don't have the skill of teaching. Mm 
-hmm. It's just this constant, like, I can't. It's not that I'm out in front. It's that I'm on a different plane. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And I don't. I just always thought people would catch up and I would stop feeling this different and this isolated. I wonder, I'm curious, though, are those, the folks that are feeling, are saying things that feel representative of you, right? Do the, do those ever feel validating to you or like there are other people that you relate to that might understand you? <sighs> Well, at least they understand the experience of that isolation and like what it's like to try to explain things to neurotypical people. I don't know mm -hmm. what the word is. Allistics, I've heard. Mm -hmm. One of the the other kind of depressing statistics that I learned from that therapist is that she was talking about IQ and I don't know where autism fits with IQ and I don't even know how relevant IQ is at all. But the point she made is that on the bell curve, the people who are at the center understand each other really well. The people who are at the end understand the people in the middle better than they understand each other. Mm -hmm. There is so much difference amongst the people who are at the end um, that there is actually less difference <laughs> between the middles and the ends. While I understand like the there's a shared experience of otherness, I, I don't know. I mean, because I've actually, aside from my friend, who's the only other person I know who suspects that they might be on the spectrum. Like, I don't, I haven't spent a lot of time talking to somebody else about being autistic. Yeah. Okay. I haven't even been diagnosed yet. So. Sure. And we can talk more about that diagnosis piece, I think in the later part of session, but I'm, I'm just curious. I've, I've just been curious about, Right. Are there sources of validation for you around this? And it's sounding like there are not strong sources of that. There's sources of validation certainly around, yeah, the, the otherness. So the person who just explained the difference between temper tantrums and meltdowns, that was hugely validating. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who have come up with like, here's a translation. Here's an explanation. I'm like, ah, splendid words. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's been harder to find people who look, who whose presentation of their experience look like mine. Sure, sure. Especially because I mean, as as we know, the majority of the research is done around white boys, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and there's a difference in age. There's a difference in gender. There's I think differences in in race and or at least culture, um, and how it manifests. So, yeah. Okay. So it seems like coming back to kind of the exposures piece, it seems like you're noticing some new things. So we may want to kind of keep on with that same in vivo. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm going to make a note of that. And you're right. Like the thing that changed this last week in the imaginal is that I went from the the invalidation was about rape culture to the mm -hmm. invalidation was around my experience. Mm -hmm. Like instead of being frustrated around like he's not getting what rape culture is like, he doesn't understand what predators are like, he doesn't understand all of this other stuff. It became more of like 
I don't feel heard. Right. He's not understanding you. Yeah. Yeah. So it was less about the, the topic and more about, I think, the mechanics of mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, he's fixing. I want him to hear me. Yeah. So with that, do you feel ready to start imaginable? I mean, am I ever ready? But yes. Where are suds? Oh, right now, 40. Okay. And worst outcomes? I feel numb. I feel stuck. Like I have a lot of body sensations, but no access to language or nothing's moving and uh, hopelessness. Okay. Likelihood? Numb, 50, stuck, 90, hopelessness, hopelessness at 80. Okay. And how bad? Uh, numb, 10, stuck, 70, hopelessness, 80. Okay. Um, urges. Um, no, no urges. Um, actually, let me look at my sheet here. We got suds. None of the urges. No dissociation. Um, sadness is thirty. Um, fear. No anger. No anger is ten. No guilt or shame. Disgust. Twenty. Joy, nothing. Acceptance, nothing. Okay. All right. Thank you. Let's start at the top. Okay. Um, Memory starts in the kitchen. And I'm standing, I think, like over near the dishwasher. My dad's in like the doorway area. I'm agitated and worked up because I had had the thought I don't know how to prevent additional sexual assaults from happening and that's what had prompted me coming out of my room and we're we're talking about that mm-hmm. I am yeah there's a lot of kind of anxious energy convincing energy that I feel in my body like, can you believe this? Like, isn't this nuts? Isn't this scary? Um, and my dad is fixing. Um, and at some point we move from the kitchen into the dining room. And that's where he says, you know, if you leave your car unlocked in a bad part of town. And... It feels bad. It feels like I've been injected with something bad. Um, I can feel it now. Um, There's a, a trapped feeling. It's like... It's like he shoved something into my mouth and then put his hand over my mouth. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't get it out now. Um, I don't have the language 
for what just happened. I'm aware that there's a problem in his argument. And that there's something particularly bad about that because like I have the urge to take apart his argument but it's gonna it's gonna take a while I like want to press pause and go and do a bunch of research and put together you know f basically like write a book report about it. here are all the problems with what you just said but more than that I want him to understand that that's poison like it doesn't feel like enough to like bring out like feminist theory you know and put together a list of all his logical fallacies and like all the data and the statistics and everything it's more that like he fundamentally doesn't understand and it's beyond the lack of understanding about the facts it's a lack of understanding I think about my experience and how isolating that is It's kind of like, um, you know, drone pilots who sit in a, one of those cubicles, like those, um, trailers, um, mm -hmm. and it's all dark and they're sitting there with their goggles on or whatever, and they're steering things and the drone is, you know, 5,000 miles away and totally different environments and everything. And they're making decisions with that distance without actually ever being on the ground without ever actually like smelling the air or feeling the earth or hearing the people mm -hmm. and there's that that separation of the recommendations my dad is making from the reality of my life there's there's a bunch of different conversations he and I had that all kind of feel like one memory to me, but I think they happened at different times. Okay. Try to stick with, with this memory if you can. We can address other memories going forward. Okay. But there's, there's certainly, there's just like this. I don't, I don't have the words. I, like, I'm noticing my body now. I'm rocking. I'm, like, protecting. There's something dangerous about what he's saying. There's an awareness of All I have access to is the theory. Like I under, have you ever seen the rape or the rape culture pyramid where it starts off with like locker room talk and at the top is actual like sexual violence. It's like mm -hmm. kind of the a hierarchy of how we get from things that are not a big deal all the way up.
future Joy here again, in case that wasn't obvious, not a big deal is in quotes. Back to the recording. And all I have access to is that, but it that feels theoretical. Like all I am able to identify is like the things you're saying, Dad, is contributing to the problem because it there's victim blaming happening, there's <sighs> this list of rules, and I know that that enables perpetrators to think it's okay to attack this person because she didn't adhere to the rule. Um, it, it, it kind of gives them carte blanche when they see somebody who's not adhering to the rules. It causes shame. But all of that's theoretical, and it's not getting at what it actually feels like in my body when he says things like that. And that feels like... He's not, he's not safe. He doesn't know that he's not safe. Suds? 60. Um... Something's coming up. Give me a second to mm-hmm. let it come up. Um, Stick with it. I'm angry at him because what he's saying. It's like a big neon sign that says, Joy, I have not, nor will I ever unpack the beliefs that I have around gender and around sex and around sexual violence. And I am convinced that I am, that I have healed things and dealt with things. He thinks he's done the work. He thinks he's, he's solid and he's not. Like, I'm telling him that he's not. I'm telling him. You haven't, you haven't done the work. You haven't addressed this thing. It's poison. It's all. It's the only word I have for it. It's bad. It's. And it feels trapped in me. And like I have no way of talking to him about it because when. It's poison. And. He's not listening and he's not getting it and he. He's not acknowledging it. He keeps he keeps spewing it thinking it's it's helpful. I'm out of the memory now. Now I'm bring us back to the memory you said. You you were saying you were aware there's a problem with his argument. You wanted to press pause and try to convince him. 
Yeah. Realizing that what he's saying feels dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And there's just this, I feel, here's a good word for you, bifurcated. Mm. Totally, like, they're, they're, Association, like I can't um, consolidate, reconsolidate. There's the 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 the, the, theory, the theory of like rape culture and everything, like feminist theory. I don't know what it's called. Mm -hmm. Of like, here let me point out all your logical fallacies and everything else, and that is completely separate from. But it feels like in my body, and I can't. Um collate those two things I can't mm -hmm. get them to talk to each other um sucks 80 Because the only thing I have language for is the theory. I don't have any language for how it feels. So it's like... I have to... push that... push that out, push it aside, push it down. The feelings, like the body sensations, everything. I have no way of explaining it, describing it, showing it, nothing. All I've got is the, the theory, and that's not enough. There's also this just... This knowledge that even if I could articulate the feelings, he would invalidate them. Mm. He would say that it's my interpretation, my listening, my judgments or whatever, my assumptions, all of this stuff, I'm... I'm being... like I'm listening to him negatively, I'm... Hang on, let me... There's words here, I can find them. Um, like what I said in the fucking email like he's he's being very logical and reasonable and presenting this very like if this then that you know the what is that the transitive property in algebra you know if you leave your car unlocked then this very cause and effect and 
what he's doing objectively is helpful, so if I'm not being helped by it, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And it feels like... so many other conversations in so much as like I came with problem A and now I'm leaving with problem A and B B which is so much bigger than problem A now you left the conversation feeling worse than when you entered it yes yeah now there's 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 even more things to address. There's new problems now. And those problems feel bigger than the other one. They feel more immediate and they feel more poisonous. And I have no way to get it out. It feels hopeless. You're doing great. I want us to start from the top one more time. Okay. So the conversation starts in the kitchen. I'm angry. There's a... There's a gotcha-ness to my anger in so much as like, it's like, I finally found a thing he won't be able to respond to. Like this will draw the poison out. Sense. 60. not quite right. There's a, there's a convincing kind of energy, like a trying to, I'm trying to force something. It's different than a conversation that I have like with my sister Anne, where I feel the freedom to just talk and she'll mm -hmm. get it. There's something else going on convincing is the best word i have for it and i'm i'm worked up agitated frustrated there's also some fear there i think i need to i don't have it right let me can I start over? Yeah, what's you were you were in the kitchen. Yeah, I'm I'm feel like more like I'm describing my memory of the memory than the actual memory itself. Okay. Um like I'm adding things to it that I don't think are accurate. Um so I'm in the kitchen and there had been a thought that kind of started me feeling agitated and coming out of my room of like, I don't know how to keep additional sexual assaults from happening. 
-hmm. and I'm worked up about it. And there's convincing. Like I'm trying to convince. I'm frustrated I'm not achieving the outcome. He's like he's not getting it. And at some point we move into the dining room. I think I'm sitting down. I don't remember if he's sitting or standing. But at some point he says, if you leave your car unlocked in a bad part of town, And there's a, a movie where they're having an intervention and the per people who are having an intervention throw a Bible at the recipient of the intervention. Mm -hmm. And it kind of feels like that. It's like being hit over the head with help. <laughs> like he's trying to help and yet the help is actually causing hurt. Mm -hmm. It feels poisonous. It feels bad. I feel trapped. I am um, feel hopeless. And totally separate from myself. Mm -hmm. Like, is this logic? It's like, you know. We're only going to have a conversation about the logic. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have a conversation about the trauma. We're not going to have the conversation about what it feels like in your body. Like, kill that part of yourself. Sucks. 80. We're going to stop there with the memory. to me about what's coming up right now. Well, it's just, it's... There's a judgment that my dad has around emotions. You know, men are logical and rational and women are emotional. Mm -hmm. Is the, the story that he has around the gender and he doesn't even know what to do with anything outside the binary. Um, and uh, it's not, it's, it's not just descriptive, it is prescriptive, this is how it's supposed to be, and one is better than the other. Logic is better than emotion. 
reason is better than emotions. The reason why um, in my DBT manual on the wise mind page, I have it crossed out. It's thinking mind. Mm-hmm. Reason and, and rationalness have feel like judgments to me. Mm-hmm. So it's that trap of being told women are emotional and then I get angry that he's making a judgment. He's like, see, you're proving my point. You're getting angry. Mm-hmm. And like the only way to interact is to kill that part, suppress that part, ignore that mm-hmm. part. And the problem I don't relate to trauma as emotional. I don't relate to PTSD as emotional. I relate to it as like somatic. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that uh, I have cut off the emotional part, dissociated from the emotional part, which means I've also just like dissociated from my body. Mm -hmm. Those emotions are in the body, right? Yep. But that's not the um, the first time. I'm positive I've told you this story. The first time we ran across, you know, the central tenets of DBT, one of them being that all behavior is caused. And I laughed at my DBT instructor. Have I told you this story? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. So we're going over the, you know, the list. We get to that one. And then we're in a group and everybody's listening and taking notes and stuff. And I like... <laughs> you know, like cackle. Um, and my instructor stops and goes, you have thoughts, Joy? I'm like, my behavior is not caused. Like, my emotions aren't caused. They they don't come from anywhere. I, they, they're hysterical. They're they're erratic. They're unpredictable. They, they have no cause. They just arrive from nothing. And they're illogical and all this other stuff. And he's like, who taught you that? My initial answer was my dad. Mm-hmm. I came home and I asked my dad, do you remember ever saying any of these things? I don't remember him ever saying those words to me. Sure. It's like, no, I've never told you that. You were being hysterical or whatever. But he didn't have to. Like, it was years later that I was like, oh, I see. The, that he would meet any, any feeling I would have with a logical argument with invalidation in the in the form of a logical argument right and i learned that my emotions were never trying to tell me anything they mm-hmm. were like hormone fluctuations that there was just a spinny dial that periodically would get spun one way and then another way by no, for no reason and what does your wise mind have to say about that now? Well, all emotions are caused. And there's <laughs> my next embroidery project is actually I'm going to read it to you because it's brilliant and I'm proud of it. It's a thing that I'm trying to remember for myself because <sighs> I keep forgetting this. Mm. There's two of them. I'm practicing accepting that my experience is valid, even if no one can ever fully understand or validate it. But the other one is, 
What if I let go of trying to understand and instead practiced accepting that however I'm feeling makes sense, is caused, comes from somewhere, even if I don't see how in this moment? Because mm. I also have the belief that I have to understand the why, I have to know the cause, which mm -hmm. is why, like, I think it was, a, I don't know, it was last week or the week before you and I were talking about it's okay to just feel the feel it. I don't even have to know what emotion it is. Just be like, this is a sensation I'm having in my body. And I can let go of having to know the why and trust that there is a why. Mm -hmm. It's like chaos theory. There is a cause, even if I can't see what the cause is. And mm -hmm. I actually get really annoyed now. <laughs> and he's like... Like a bull in a china shop, except the bull is a painter now. It's like, we're just going to slap logic on everything. We're just going to slap this on, whether it fits or not, whether it's appropriate or not, whether that's the color you wanted or not. We're just going to apply this in every scenario. And the problem is, <laughs> there is a logical reason. And sometimes the logical reason is, I didn't sleep well last night, or I haven't eaten recently. Like, those are, th like logical in the sense that they make <laughs> sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but his thing is logic is thought based mm -hmm. and my experience of emotion isn't necessarily thought based mm -hmm. like i can have a panic attack at the gym because my body knows i'm the only woman in the room like, it can tell I'm surrounded by men, or male presenting people at any rate. And that is, it's not like I had the thought, oh, I'm the only woman in the room. Mm. And there's a cause. We don't always have to explain it. Okay, hang on. I'm going to sit with that for a second. And that's that like three paragraph thing I wrote on the imaginal from last week. The hopelessness of the thought that I am going to have to explain this to everybody moving forward. I definitely have the thought and this is this has been confirmed by my parents that if my boundaries won't be respected, I I won't be respected unless I can explain my boundaries, if I can explain myself. My mom kept saying that she really wanted to know the why behind why I didn't want her to come into my room. Mm -hmm. As though that would, she's like, if I could understand why, like, I would remember better. I'm like, but I've spent 11 years explaining the why and it didn't help her remember. She has mm -hmm. this belief that understanding why is the only, is required in order to honor a boundary. Mm -hmm. And that shows up all over the place. It shows up for you. Yes. Certainly, like, internally. Mm -hmm. Like, I yeah. have to know my why in order to validate myself. Mm. But also, I have the expectation that, like, in order to, to tell my mom a thing, or, you know, have a boundary with her, or with my dad, that I have to give them the why. I'm 
I'm angry about that. Like, I automatically want to go to all of the examples of me respecting a boundary without having to know the why for somebody else. Your anger makes sense here. But here's the question. Like, I'm comparing one of my best friends, Ebony, is non-binary, and before I even knew what anything was, when we met, they told me that and said, their pronouns are they, them. And I was like, okay, great, your pronouns are they, them. And I was like, okay, we will respect the boundary. I will figure everything else out later. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I don't have to understand gender on a spectrum or their experience of gender or anything at all. To honor the boundary. Yes. And so mm -hmm. I'm comparing, I'm, I'm using this example of me respecting a boundary without knowing why and judging everybody else based off of this time when I did it effectively, because there have been times when I have not been effective at honoring somebody else's boundary, right? But I think you're, I think that's the, the core of it, right? Is that if effectively respecting a boundary is honoring the boundary without, without having to know why in the moment. And sometimes we mess up. Yes. But sometimes there are people in our lives who routinely and repeatedly do not honor the boundary. And I'm, I'm judging, which I know is not, it's not effective. It doesn't get me the desired result. It doesn't protect me. It just makes me angry. And I, have the thought, and this is another problem with my brain, or it's, I, I figured it out, why can't you? Mm -hmm. When my brain is different. I don't know why, for whatever reason, I could accept that in, the, in this other instance with my friend and just be like, yeah, okay. I don't know why. I couldn't tell, I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why that clicked. And I'm judging everybody else for not having that same experience for not making that same choice, for not clicking. Because how does it make you feel when they don't do that? Unheard, unrespected. So I want to move away from trying to practice non-judgmental right now because I actually think that's not effective. I think what's effective here is practicing self-validation because I, I see you moving towards non-judgmental Right? Yeah. To invalidate yourself. You annoy me. <laughs> Hang on just a second. <laughs> uh, okay. You're absolutely a thousand percent, like a gazillion percent correct. <laughs> I'm really annoyed right now. I am using non-judgment to invalidate myself. What? Like, isn't non-judgment a mindfulness skill? Isn't that being skillful? 
it's an effective skill, right? Uh-huh. It's an important skill to notice when judgments are uh, having a negative impact on us, right? But having the opinion that it's wrong to cross a boundary, which is kind of essentially what I'm hearing, the crux of what you're saying is, having that opinion is not something we need to be non-judgmental about. Okay, hang on. I agree with you. And I'm... So you're right, because I was noticing I'm having a couple different judgments. That one, I don't need to, I'm, I, I'm like, I'll allow myself to be judgmental. The judgment that I noticed causing problems for me is the judgment of, I could do it, why can't you? Okay. That's the one that causes, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me, I get angry at other people. I stop being, I stop actually accepting other people's skill levels and then making choices based on the reality of their skill level. I keep trying to shoehorn them into my skill level. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's a, they're separate, right? The urge to change something, right? The urge to change a person is separate, can be separate, right, from desiring that they would do something different because it is hurtful. Like the do, there's like the urge and the desire, and then there's the doing, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. I get it. And it's okay to have the urge and the desire for the people around you to do better. Yeah. When you try to shoehorn, though, over and over, right, that gets you into trouble. Yeah. Well, that's why it took me 11 years to put a lock on my door. Because I was like, Mom, I could figure it out. Why can't you figure it out? And I, it was only when I finally accepted, I was like, mom doesn't have the skill of being able to honor this boundary. I, then what, what would I do if I accepted that she was just going to keep coming in? And that's when I got a lock. Mm-hmm. And we can hold a dialectic there, right? We can validate that you want that to be different. Of course you do. And also accept that it's not. Okay, that's a dialectic that I... not been holding because mm-hmm. I have it that if I ex- if I accept that that is what is so I uh, I use that to squelch suppress my mm-hmm. desire that it were my wanting it to be different Because you're totally right. Like the, I'm using a non-judgment to invalidate myself. (sighs) 
This is annoying. I'm annoyed. Now what? I think part of this is noticing, right? Trying to notice when are you using non-judgmental effectively and when are you using it to invalidate yourself? <sighs> and that might take time to suss out and practice. So I think you actually have had a lot of practice in validating yourself. We know that. Yes. Uh. But I'm hearing you validate yourself more in this process. I want to sort of honor that work that you're doing. Thanks. <laughs> You've allowed, you allowed the emotion to come up today while we were doing while we were doing the imaginal. Yeah. Hold on, I want to let this happen. That's the start of self-validation, right? Is moving away from the suppression. I don't like it. I, uh... Like the... It's the... It feels, I have the thought it feels wimpy or like weak or soft or something. Oh, myths about emotions coming up. Oh, myths. Yeah, that certainly there's like logic is, is strong, emotions are weak. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that self-validation is permissive. I've been kind of, the TikTok algorithm is very smart. I've ended up in gentle parenting, um, mm -hmm. which one of my favorite creators does comparisons of like what people think we mean versus what, what it actually is. And the, what people think it is, is very permissive. It's like, you can totally throw a tantrum, you know, like you can, it's okay that you're hitting me. Like you have big feelings and just like letting the kid run wild as opposed to like, Hey, it's not okay to hit me. So while you're doing that, we're going to put you like in your, in your timeout beanbag or whatever. And you can punch it all you want. You're not going to punch me though. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I clearly have like this belief that I need to, I need to shoehorn myself. I need to like make myself fit and that allowing my own emotions is indulgent, permissive. Like, I think it was the early 2000s when it was all of these like motivational, like get up off the couch. Like you don't want to sit your lazy ass down and eat potato chips all day. Like just go to the gym, just do it without acknowledging what gets in people's way, you know, that motivation isn't actually the thing that's effective anyway. Like all of this stuff, it was, there was a lot of messaging around, like, just suck it up, mm -hmm. rub some dirt on it, you know, and that validating, validating means approval. That's a really strong 
a really strong belief that I have still. That validation means approval. Yeah. That, uh, that it means I, I have to be okay with it, that I have to like it. Um, as opposed to, I mean, like, clearly, validation feels like unclogging a drain. Mm. Like, it gets everything to move. But I have it that validation is being like, oh, it's totally fine that my sink is clogged. This is great. I really mm. love that my sink is clogged. Yeah. I mean, I know from experience validation is the thing that actually has the emotion move and pass. Like, it doesn't stay. It's not permanent. It doesn't get stuck. Mm -hmm. I'm annoyed. What brings up the annoyance? This is a good question because I've noticed this a lot when I'm practicing skills like especially when I'm recording a podcast because I do everything out loud <laughs> when mm -hmm. I record um and I get annoyed when a skill works like mm. turning the mind to me is the dumbest skill like it's four freaking steps and they're all silly <laughs> like mm. observe that you're not accepting Go within yourself and make a commitment to accept. Like, that's dumb. And then the third step is do it again. That's not even a, that's not even a step. It's just repeating the skill. And then the fourth step is make a plan the next time you notice you're out of acceptance. That's also not a... And it works. Like, why on earth does this stupid thing work? And... I... Like, I'm, I'm aware of how annoyed I get when a skill that I have judged for being stupid works. Like, mm -hmm. to me, it's so messy inside. It doesn't make sense that one cleaning solution would do all of this. And clearly I have myths around, like, the only things that are effective will be things that are incredibly time-consuming and really hard and very challenging and be painful. <laughs> I think there's some, there's some Puritan beliefs. <laughs> there must be suffering. Yep. And complex problems require complex solutions is another belief, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've started watching a lot of furriers, I think is the name of the people who go and they like re-shoe re horses and like um, help cows and horses that have gone lame because they have like a tiny pebble, the tiniest pebble in their hoof and they will go completely lame. And mm -hmm. I, it kind of feels like that when you point out a tiny thing that is causing all of this, all of these problems, I'm like, really? It's a grain of fucking sand. But I get annoyed that this grain of sand has caused decades worth of suffering. <laughs> I don't know that it's fair to say it's a grain of sand. So my relationship to it, I have the... the feel as if it's a grain of sand. Yeah, I'm like... The, the thing that you said of that I'm using non-judgment to invalidate myself, mm -hmm. I was like, that feels like such a sneaky thing because I get to, uh, I have the, the belief that I'm being effective. Like I get to convince myself, oh, I'm totally being effective because I'm using a skill, but I'm, I'm using a tool. Yes, it is a tool and I'm using it wrong. Like if I try to unscrew a screw with a hammer, yes, mm -hmm. I'm using a tool for the wrong thing.
I don't doubt that you use the skill effectively at times, right? But in this case... Yep. Yep. And this is not the skill. This is not the skill to use in this moment. Well, and certainly, even if it is, I'm using it wrong. Yeah, it's not effective the way I'm using it. I'm using it to shut myself up. I don't know that it is effective to block my own thoughts that are judgments. Like, I think mm-hmm. mindfulness to current thought, I'm using non judgment to suppress mindfulness to current thought. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I can be aware of those thoughts without judging. Like I can go, I'm having the thought that this person's lazy. And that's a thought, not a, feels different acknowledging it as a thought. Like, yeah, that's a thought my brain is having as opposed to that person's lazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a tiny little distinction, but it. There's separation there. Yes. I'm annoyed. You're very effective, you know. <laughs> Joy, you are effective. Uh, You're doing very hard work. Welcome back to the future. So I have some thoughts, but I figured I should start doing segments for my outro to kind of group things together. So let's start with a fun update segment. First, a fun update about my progress at the gym. I mentioned in the recording that there was this sled thing that I can add weight to and then pull or push it around. And in April of 2022, when I made this recording, I was pulling 360 pounds back and forth 10 times. And the last time I loaded it up, it was at 450 pounds. So that's nice little progress. Go me. Um, Another fun update. I haven't spent a lot of time talking to someone else about being autistic. Well, that is no longer true. It turns out that every single one of my closest friends is likely autistic. So the therapy session I just played for you was in mid-April, and I got formally diagnosed on May 6th, so just a couple weeks later. And since that diagnosis, I have started talking to my friends about the questionnaires that I took and the sort of diagnostic criteria I was asked about during my assessment. And my four closest friends all were like, oh, interesting. Which, of course, makes total sense, right? Because I've gravitated towards people who understand me and whom I understand. And I basically self-selected for autistic friends. So that's cool. And another fun update related to that, I also found a lovely little community of fellow um, autistic folks who are local, and we do a Zoom call once a week, (laughs) where we all pretty much just hang out in the chat. Uh, And we also have a Discord server that we all chat in. It's fucking awesome. It's like my people. Another fun update, I mentioned in the recording that I had a couple embroidery projects planned, and I've actually finished one of them. And I will post that on Instagram so you can go check that out. It's the one that says, I'm practicing accepting that my experience is valid, even if no one can ever fully understand or validate it. And what's interesting about this one, I actually originally was going to put even if no one else can ever fully understand or validate it, but that implied that I fully understand and validate it. Oftentimes, I don't understand or validate my own experience. So it's important that. I practice accepting that my experience is valid, even if no one, including myself, ever fully understands or validates it. So there you go. 
Moving on to another segment here. I figured I'd call this my reference segment. Uh, I mentioned a TikTok where someone described the difference between temper tantrums and autistic meltdowns uh, that I found hugely validating. The link to that TikTok is in the description, and the TikTok creator is at Purple Ella and Coco. She also has a YouTube channel that's pretty great, so highly recommend. I also mentioned a movie with an intervention <laughs> wherein someone throws a Bible at the recipient of the intervention. This is a criminally underrated 2004 movie called Saved, starring Mandy Moore and Macaulay Culkin. Excellent, especially if you have like religious trauma. It's just chef's kiss. Another thing I mentioned in the recording that I talked about the wise mind handout in the DBT manual. The original handout has a Venn diagram depicting reason or rational mind and emotion mind. And the intersection of those two is where wise mind lives. And I don't like this depiction. It implies that in order to be wise, we need to reject or discard parts of our thoughts and parts of our emotions, which I take issue with. I have a version that I prefer, and I've linked it in the description and also on my Instagram. I prefer a depiction where wise mind is a bigger circle that goes around both the rational, reasonable mind and emotion mind. And additionally, I also really don't like the term reason or rational there, because it's absolutely possible to be totally in my head and not using reason or rationality. I also dislike those terms because they're terms that have a distinct bias to them. Because culturally, we value reason and being rational. Unreasonable is bad. Irrational is bad. So there's judgments that we have around those. And I prefer to call that portion of the diagram thinking mind instead. Because that's what our brain does. It has thoughts. And not all of our thoughts are going to be based on reason or rationality. Another thing I wanted to mention... This whole idea of needing to understand something in order to respect it. I mentioned that in the recording, and there's an incredible TikTok about this very topic that I wanted to share. Um, the link to the original is in the description, and I'm going to read a transcript of it here. This is in response to a commenter saying that understanding the why behind someone's boundaries really helps. And here's the response from the content creator, Portia.noir. One thing that we've been taught is that in order to give something respect, we have to fully understand it. And that just isn't accurate. In addition to the fact that we all have several differences as human beings and that respect should just be there, it's also asking the person that you're trying to understand to potentially strip themselves bare so that you get it better. It becomes an act of centering yourself over the person that you're saying that you're trying to understand. Do yourself a favor. Give your brain a rest and recognize, again, that you do not have to understand everything in order to give it the respect that it deserves, especially if we are talking about human beings. This thought process comes across pretty selfish, and I don't think that's what you're going for, so let's just not give it that appearance. And again, that was in response to an original comment saying that understanding someone's boundaries really helps. And of course, I'm left wondering, whom does it help? Food for thought. I also mentioned in the therapy session, I was talking about my mom walking into my room without knocking and that I then got a door lock. And I've talked about this quite a bit. I live with my parents and that for 11 years, my mom has not been able to keep herself from walking into my room without knocking. And in episode seven on radical acceptance, I asked myself the question, what would I do 
if I accepted that my mom can't stop herself from walking into my room without knocking? And the answer that came back was I'd put a fucking lock on my door. But for the 11 years prior to that, I would judge my mom, try and persuade my mom, argue with my mom, yell at my mom, explain my experience to my mom, all to try to get her to stop coming in. And it didn't work. I just got more and more angry. And it wasn't until I asked that question, what would I do if I accepted that my mom can't stop herself from coming into my room, that I was finally able to see that I could put a lock on my door. So that's, that's the context for that. Also, towards the end there, I mentioned how annoyed I get when a skill works. <laughs> As I was yelling at my therapist. Clearly, this is a common enough thing that I felt the need to record an entire episode just about that. And in fact, it was the previous episode, episode 29. Um, it involves a conversation with my sister, Ruth, who also gets really super annoyed about it. So go check that out. And one more thing. This thought came to me as I was listening back to the portion of the therapy session where I'm talking about how fast I am, how quickly I learn, and how quickly I can do things a lot faster than a lot of other people. And as I was listening to that, I was feeling some tension. And it occurs to me there's some nuance that I want to add to this. There are two main things, I think, that are operating when I talk about speed. And I want to actually acknowledge both of them so that they're not running in the background. One thing that's at work is the way my brain is wired and the way my brain interacts with my body. Doing things fast feels really good in my body. It feels very zingy. Like I get these little brain zings. Um, doing things efficiently feels really good in my body. Making as few movements as possible to accomplish as many of my goals as possible feels really good in my body. It's very, very satisfying. So that's one thing that's at play. And the other thing is white supremacy culture and capitalism. There's a great, very descriptive article about the main characteristics of white supremacy culture on the very aptly named website, whitesupremacyculture.info. I've linked it in the description. But one of the things that white supremacy culture values is urgency getting things done immediately. We got to get shit done now. And of course, capitalism values efficiency and speed and getting shit done now. And that is part of the challenge that I have in talking about how I'm fast. Because I live in a culture and I am of a race, and I'm white in case that wasn't incredibly obvious from everything about me, that deifies and gives supremacy to speed. Doing things quickly is lauded and valued by white supremacy culture and capitalism. And I am just nudging myself to hold both of these things at the same time. The awareness that I like being fast and also that white supremacy culture and capitalism uphold speed. I can't go into a conversation and say that speed is a moral or universal good because not everybody has that same experience of speed that I do. And expecting other folks to adhere to that would be me upholding white supremacy culture and capitalism, I think. I liken my experience to that of like a horse that likes to run. And I talk about this in therapy all the time that I'm just like, just let me run. <laughs> Being forced to go slow is physically painful to me. Like it actually hurts in my body. It hurts my joints. It hurts my brain. 
So like when I hike, I hike alone because I constantly am outpacing my friends. When I clean or organize, I clean and organize super fast and super efficiently. When I type, my fingers are flying and I use tons of keystrokes because mice are inefficient. (laughs) And all of that feels good in my body and in my brain, whereas going slow feels physically excruciating. So yeah, I feel like a, a horse that's just being forced to walk or being like kept behind a gate. And I'm like, just let me fucking go. And I want to be allowed to run because it feels good in my brain and my body. And not because I'm being forced to uphold a white supremacist and capitalist ideal. And that's a tricky needle to thread. I think that's, hmm, I think that's part of why I hide my skills at new jobs. Because I don't want to be forced to use something that feels good in my body, feels good in my brain. I don't want to be forced to use that for someone else's ends that ultimately harms me in the long term. Because typically, I'm being asked to run in conditions that will get me hurt. So my horse analogy again, I prefer to run on like a flat, open area. But if you drop me in the Rockies, that's how I break a leg. And most work environments are not conducive for me to be running flat out. But once a boss or coworker has seen me run, they have the expectation that I will do that always and in any condition. And that's just not accurate or reasonable certainly not in the long term, which is why I've gotten burnt out at every single job I've ever had. Yeah, it's a a weird and complicated and nuanced thing to hold all of that. And I am just aware of for myself that I need to be cautious in how I talk about my speed so that I'm not being prescriptive about it. I'm not saying that other people have to be that way, um, because that is upholding white supremacy culture and capitalism. So, something for me to be aware of moving forward. All right. Well, that's pretty much all she wrote. <laughs> so, I am going to sign off here. Thank you for listening and sticking through this very long episode. I mean, they're all really long, aren't they? But thank you for <laughs> sticking with me. And um, again, huge thanks to my Patreon supporters. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, Um, on whatever channels you use to listen to it. Makes a massive difference. All right, so I still don't know how to end this, so I'm just going to do my normal thing and end it super abrupt. This has been Let's Therapize That Shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. I'll see you next time. Intro and outro music is Swan Lake Opus 20 by Tchaikovsky performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Anatoly Fistulari, and released on LP by Richmond High Fidelity London Records in 1952.